Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. everyone welcome very glad that you could join us and i am so excited because i've got one of my sister friends here vijay nathan someone who came to my rescue a few years ago when i just needed someone to make us laugh she's performed for us at many occasions for the meditation museums and at different public events that we have sponsored and organized in the nation's capital and she's doing me the beautiful favor of just joining us on air today. So let me give you a little bit of an idea. Miss Vijay Nathan is a comedian, storyteller, writer, trainer, entertaining people across America and internationally too. Vijay's stories have been featured on NPR Snap Judgment and Invisible Live. She's also been a contributing writer for the Washington Post Magazine's Date Lab. Vijay has the honor of being one of the few South Asian artists to be invited to perform at the Kennedy Center. Smithsonian Library of Congress and the Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C. She's also the writer and performer of a one-woman show such as Good Girls Don't But Indian Girls Do <laughs> and Mac Goddesses, Big Max Karma and the American Dream. Welcome to our sweet sister, Vijay Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us on The Next Normal. My pleasure. So nice to have you. You know, you've been doing a lot of stuff. You're a leading Indian-American female comedian, but... You started out in journalism. You used to write for the Baltimore Sun. You transitioned into comedy because life just seemed too serious and something was calling you? (laughs) Well, I was working at the Baltimore Sun. I was working as a copy editor, so I was editing. And the editor at any news organization is like the dentist of the newsroom. People know they need you, but nobody wants to hear from you or see you. And it just wasn't for me. I had really tried to do this job and I was just so unhappy in so many parts of my life. And I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to take this comedy class because performance is something I had always dreamed of as a kid, but was never really encouraged to do, (laughs) except for by my grandma. So I just took a chance on it. And After I performed, I took a class and after my performance, I decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job. And four months later, I gave notice to my job. You were losing it, right? To do that. Like what? You're quitting doing this to go and do stand-up comedy. You know, when you step out of the limb, people think like, what is wrong with her? It's the best. Even if you are not 
going to do stand-up comedy. If you need to quit your job, just tell them you're going to go do stand-up comedy because it's the best. <laughs> it's the best excuse to give or reason to give because people are just gobsmacked. So but it was definitely felt like it was right. It felt like when I first started performing, I really felt like I had found my place. Do you remember that first night on stage? And do you remember what that first joke was? And if it's clean, feel free to share it with us, only because there are kids that listen to our show, too. I mean, I think the first time I performed, I was just so scared that I was going to forget something. I was trying to remember all my jokes. And my first joke was a visual joke. It was actually a clean joke, but I don't have the hat. I was wearing this, like, big cat in the hat for this joke. I remember coming on stage and the lights blinding me, which is a good thing, because otherwise it's too scary your first time if you can actually see people. Now I like to be able to see people and talk to people and connect with them. But at the beginning, I was, like, blinded, and I got on stage and just started telling my jokes. And then just that magical thing of people laughing. And then you're just hooked. Any person who does stand-up comedy, it's that first time when it goes really well that you're like, oh, my God, I want to be in this forever. And it's not until you start doing shows where the audience may not be so kind that you learn how hard it is to make people laugh. Shows like that where they're just not able to connect either with the audience or the audience just had one of those funky moods, you know, that they just couldn't snap out of it to even catch what the person was saying. You remember your first joke? It was a really long time ago. You would always remember it because, you know, that first moment on the stage and you're like... Well, oh, I have... No, no, no. There's definitely... I remember the joke, but like I said, my joke basically was self-deprecating. So I got up on stage and I start with like, oh, basically, I'd be like, you know, this is my for a show and I was really excited so I went and bought myself a new outfit and when I went to the mall the sales lady she looked at me and she was like let's get you something that draws attention away from all your flaws and then I put on this like ridiculous hat icebreaker kind of self-deprecating joke and then I know I told a joke about weddings it was part of a comedy class so all of us in the class, like, okay, we're all going to write a joke about weddings. Each of you write a joke and think of anything that you think is funny that you could write about. This was my joke about being at a wedding. So basically it was like, oh, my ex got married and I heard that it was a fairy tale wedding. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. That's of course, because I threw tear gas in the church, like dorky, silly joke like that. Don't you love how you evolve in life? Sometimes when I look back at myself 10, 20, 15, 30 years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, you were so geeky or you were just so different, you know? And you're like, wow, how time changes us. Yeah, I absolutely like that person that I was. Like, I mean, I don't know that I would always have said that, but having perspective now in life, I'm much kinder to that person that I was that was trying so hard. That's important. The pandemic has been forcing us to find a way to have Mm self-care, to find that happy place inside of ourselves. What's your happy place inside of you? I will definitely say that I have been meditating, which will probably make you feel good. (laughs) So definitely 
breathing and meditating and taking that time to do that. I don't always do it, but when I do get back into the habit of remembering to do it, I feel so much better. There is such a release of all of that noise and the anxiety and everything that gets released from meditation. What else have I been doing? I've been doing self-care and working out. I mean, because what else can you do? (laughs) Working out (laughs) and watching what I eat. I actually lost 15 pounds. So I know there's like, I've got some more to lose, but I feel I want to be really strong when the pandemic is over. (laughs) People are feeling that. Like a lot of people feel that after the pandemic, a better version of themselves should or must come forward. And when you think about that, and you think about Vijay Nathan and her journey, what do you think would be your better version as a result of what you would say like a year of isolation or incubation or being locked down? Like what if you kind of sometimes sit back and you visualize when you come out of this and we can go to improvs and do whatever we want to do like we used to, what does that look like for you? I really can't wait to connect with an audience, with people and feel that energy because performing stand-up or storytelling, that laughter, that is a conversation. And when you're doing it online, you're not getting that. Often like you're just talking to yourself. I'm so looking forward to that connection. But I think that part of that self-care thing of feeling like I've never felt really comfortable in my own skin and my body. And I'm not getting like losing dramatic amounts of weight. I know I want to get healthier and just feel stronger. And I kind of can't wait to just feel really grounded and strong on stage because sometimes I don't think other people would know that I didn't feel that way, but a lot of it was you got to fake it till you make it. So I think I just want to feel rooted and strong. A lot of us are feeling that we don't want to be so annoyed and so fear-driven. Fear-driven, am I going to lose this? Is this going to happen to me? Or what next? You know, just that whole energy of fear. And I know one of the things that we've spoken about is you're really looking forward to waking up one day in your head space where there just isn't any more fear. Can you talk to me about what you think that would look like? Like, how would Vijay Nathan be when she wakes up in this whole paradigm and she's like, I don't have any more fear in me. I completely know that I am Atma or I'm spirit and that's going to last forever. I don't need to be afraid maybe of the dying thing, but even the other fears, like, what do you think it would feel like for you to just wake up one day and realize I'm not afraid of anything anymore? What would you be like? I think it would be to feel incredibly powerful. It would allow me to give so much more room to all the things that deserve to be there and to grow those things and to be a better person, be a better performer, say something that's important and touches people and make some laugh. But I think that there's so many things that fear prevents us from doing. And even now, I mean, really struggle with wanting to put new content out, but then being afraid it's not perfect. It's not this, it's not that. If I could be without fear, that would just be the ultimate freedom. There'd just be this presence 
of love because what can love not cure? You're in a relationship with a wonderful man. He has brought you the inheritance of three beautiful children, which has made you an instant mom or stepmom or big sister, depends on how they look at you, or maybe obstacle, who knows. Tell me what have you been learning the most from being in a situation like that? I got to say, maybe the only really good thing about having been in the pandemic is that I am with these kids more than I would have ever been with them. Like I actually got the chance to develop that love-hate relationship that actual parents and children have. (laughs) That's the strong relationship when they can get mad at you and still love you the next day or vice versa. Their mom has them 50% of the time and we have them 50% of the time. But that time was they were in school, then they have their activities, and then it's just dinner time, and then their weekends are still more activities. So there wasn't that opportunity to just, for them to know who is this person, this adult, for me to know them in their daily, mundane, boring life, the crappy parts of life, I guess, which is actually really great. It's really, that's been the big upside from being in this pandemic. Sometimes ask you to tell them jokes? They don't think I'm funny at all. No. I don't believe them. No, any comedian will tell you that their children do not find them funny, like at all. The one thing that they do love to laugh at is that when I do an Indian accent, because they know me as this. We were driving the other day and the youngest is finally big enough weighs enough that she can sit in the front seat and her brother who is a few years older than her was like that's not fair she might weigh enough but she's not of the official age which I'm not sure what it is and he's like you're going to get arrested he's like telling me because I'm driving them somewhere he's like you're going to get arrested and they're going to put you in jail and I'm like you know what I'm going to do if the cops get me I'm going to say I am sorry sir I don't know I'm just doing what the children are telling me to do I don't know what they want or I don't know the laws so I'm so sorry so sorry about that. And when I did that, they freaked out that I was able to do it like this. And so now they're like, can you talk Indian? I go, it's not talking Indian. Okay. Oh, no. Now they actually want me to speak, not just doing an Indian accent, but then to speak in Tamil because I speak Tamil. They want to hear that all the time. And then they'll ask me to translate what it is. And I can say a lot of rude things to them in Tamil. So, hey, you get what you pay for. Maybe to decode it. Well, maybe to decode it. That is so funny. I love that. You have performed in a lot of places. What's one of your most memorable experiences or moments where you've performed and what made it so memorable for you? I've got a couple. Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is I've been doing stand-up probably for about five years and my mom asked me to do a fundraiser at her Hindu temple. Now, I've been doing comedy clubs mainstream American audiences, comedy clubs in New York or wherever it is, only adults and don't have to be clean at these shows. And so I was really scared. I was terrified to do the show. And so I wrote some jokes that were much more friendly. It offered you a Hindu green light. 
Well, I had to force myself to write it because I was like, my mom asked me to do this. It's important to her. I mean, I wrote these jokes and hadn't done them in any other audience before. So I didn't know if they would work. I had no idea. And that's what was great was to see a four-year-old little, you know, Indian American kid and then like a a 98-year-old Indian grandma laughing at the same thing. That is one of my personally most memorable performances. So sweet. Tell us a little bit about a moment in your life where it was a little challenging, whether it was emotional, physical, maybe it was a relationship. You kind of felt like nothing was right. How did you snap out of it? This brings me back a little bit to right before I decided to do stand-up. I was engaged. I had a good job. I kind of had a track, you know, and had everything that would make it so that my parents would be happy and not be worried about me. I had a path. And I was so miserable. None of it made me happy. And that's when I just was like, I'm so depressed. My relationship, this great guy is not making me happy. My job, which on the outside is a very prestigious job, wasn't making me happy. So what do I do? And I ended up canceling my wedding. I took a comedy class and that helped me begin to find a voice and a purpose. But really it is this ongoing journey because it wasn't like, oh, I was instantly happy because I was no longer engaged and I was no longer at this job that I was in because you're always trying to deal with yourself. And I think that's the wisdom you get with age that when you're younger, you make decisions and you're like, oh, okay, I'll be happy when I'm not with that person or I'll be happy when I have this other job. And no, you're only going to be happy when you deal with yourself. That is every day. That is ongoing. I know. So when we look at your future, you've got a new show coming out called I'm Not Racist, But. Can you tell us a little bit about it and when it will debut? So I'll be performing that show socially distanced. So as long as things are going the way they're going, there'll be actually my first live performance with people in an audience in a year. And that will be March 27th in Center Stage Theater in Reston, Virginia. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm going to be talking about race (laughs) and just my experience as an Indian American dealing with race and my experience from growing up and kind of seeing that immigrant experience through my parents but also really a lot of what's been happening since 2016 and what's going on now and how that's affecting me, but affecting all of us. So can we get a sneak preview of one of the jokes from your new show? Just one little tiny one. I mean, racism is such a charged experience for all of us. I mean, whether you are black or white or brown or yellow, I think everyone is trying to figure out how do I look at you as a soul and not worry about the color of your skin? You know, how do I relate to you at a heart level and not think about what I've been brainwashed to believe that all Indians are like this or all Blacks are like this, you know? It's a big topic, and to find humor in it, it's a blessing. I mean, I want to see humor in it, and I want to be able to respect it, too. Well, we'll see. I think this show is hard. 
I won't sugarcoat it. It's hard because it's dealing with stuff that's really hard and it's dealing with things that are very present. Some of my other stuff has been about the past. So I have a lot of distance from it, whether if I'm talking about my childhood and this is just using all the stuff that have come through from growing up in this country and then all the things that I'm faced with now and that we're all faced with and how do we want to make a better life where we're all really treated equally and seen equally. So you're not going to give me a sneak preview. I'm trying to think. I really can't give you a sneak preview at the moment because it's still all forming in my still head. Morphing. It's still coming out. I it got absolutely you. still is coming out. Yes. So beautiful. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for bringing more light and laughter into what can seem like a belgium of a period in our lives, but I know we're waking up, and I don't know, I feel like some of our light and the better part of ourselves is just shining so bright, and the other part of us is kind of struggling with who am I, where do I come from, what am I here to do, that's also taking us into like a different dimension. So in closing, what's your wish or your vision for a better humanity? Like, what is your next normal looking like? It's about being kind to others and being kind to yourself. I think so much of the anger is in some ways a lot of internal pain, but it's expressed outward and expressed out at others. I think that just really taking the time to be kind to yourself, to understand yourself, not beat yourself up for not having figured it all out while there's a pandemic going on. I think that I struggle with that. Like, why don't I have 20 jokes to tell Sister Jenna right now? Because <laughs> I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I get that. And that's what I love about you is how genuine and authentic you've always been. And I think that's maybe the next normal for all of our humanity too, that we want to be genuine and authentic so that we don't have to play all these games with each other. Jay Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to seeing when we'll reopen and just keep moving forward. But thank you to be continued, and I can't wait to get into your I'm Not Racist But show that's premiering on March 27th. Center stage in Reston, Virginia. Everybody, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hope you enjoyed hearing Vijay. I know I did, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be taking something from our dialogue and our coming together. It's time for us to really have these heart-to-heart conversations so that we can feel more connected to ourselves, to each other and to the divine. Thank you so much. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. See you all soon. Take care. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.